Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Which Jedi always got his brother's hand-me-downs? Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> If you just read the bio for Dr. Steve, host of Weird Medicine on Sirius XM 103 and made popular by two really comedy shows, Opie and Anthony and Ron and Fez, you would have thought that this guy was was a bit of, uh, you know, a, a clown. Your show was better when you had medical questions. Yay! I've got diphtheria crushing my esophagus. I've got Ebola virus dripping from my nose. I've got the leprosy of the heart valve exacerbating my incredible woes. I want to take my brain out and blast it with the wave, an ultrasonic, echographic, and a pulsating shave. I want a magic pill for all my ailments, the health equivalent of Citizen Kane. And if I don't get it now in the tablet, I think I'm doomed and I'll have to go insane. I want a requiem for my disease, so I'm paging Dr. Steve. Dr. Steve! It's Weird Medicine, the first and still only uncensored medical show in the history of broadcast radio, now a podcast. I'm Dr. Steve with my little pal, Dr. Scott, the traditional Chinese medical practitioner who gives me street cred with the wacko alternative medicine jack-offs. Hello, Dr. Scott. Hey, Dr. Steve. This is a show for people who would never listen to a medical show on the radio or the internet. If you've got a question you're embarrassed to take to your regular medical provider, if you can't find an answer anywhere else, give us a call at 347-766-4323. That's 347-Poohhead. Follow us on Twitter at Weird Medicine or at drscottwm. Visit our website at drsteve.com for podcasts, medical news, and stuff you can buy. Most importantly, we are not your medical providers. Take everything here with a grain of salt. Don't act on anything you hear on this show without talking over with your doctor, nurse practitioner, practical nurse, physician assistant, pharmacist, chiropractor, acupuncturist, yoga master, physical therapist, clinical laboratory scientist, registered dietitian, or whatever. All right, very good. Um, please don't forget about stuff.drsteve.com. It's what makes the world go round around here. Stuff.drsteve.com. You can uh, click straight through and go to Amazon. Why wouldn't you want to do that? Or you can scroll down and see all the lovely things that we've talked about on this show. And uh, the flatest flute will be on there as soon as Son of Chris gets me the embed code. So, oh, But until then, you can go to flatestflute.com. I have nothing to do with that. I just think it's hilarious. <laughs> and then uh, Dr. Scott's website, it's simply um, herbals.net, simply herbals.net. And then um, I guess that's it. Yeah, we have tweaked audio. Yep. Tweakedaudio.com, offer code FLUID for 33% off the best earbuds for the price. All right, very good. All right, sir, are you ever, oh, you did change the uh, camera. So I we're <clears throat> trying to do this live stream. And uh, I'm kind of, you know, um, Matt Kleinschmidt from the Laugh Button has been saying you need to do it. And Carl from uh, Who Are These Podcasts has been saying you have to do it. Vinny from uh, The Creep Off have been saying it. So all people, certainly I respect in this business, all saying you need to do it. Eric Zane. So uh, we're going to try it. Let's do it. And we'll see. 
So it's kind of fun. You know, I've got three 4K cameras in here. I have no idea how it looks out there. Trying to use a little uh, OBS uh, for uh, to broadcast. That was uh, Vinnie Paulino's idea. Uh, an, an excellent comedian, by the way. And uh, and there you go. So here we are. You got anything at stu- uh, simplyherbals.net these days? <laughs> I ask you that every time. It's like, oh, boy. <laughs> well, you know, no, nothing new, nothing new. All right. So you have a couple of stories. I have a couple of stories. Then we're going to take uh, blind phone calls because I do not have um, uh, any um, – uh, I did not do any show prep because I am still getting killed at work. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I've got this article from The Lancet. I don't even remember what it is, so I'm just going to plug the... That's that's great. That gives everybody a lot of confidence that I care about you to the point. <laughs> okay, so I thought this was very interesting. <clears throat> I've been preaching on this show since day one of this stupid pandemic that um, therapeutics going to be where it's at right? in the end. Yep. Vaccines, yes, powerful tool. But the thing that will let us go back to normal, particularly if this coronavirus does what all the other coronaviruses have done and become endemic, is we need therapeutics. Because that keeps people out of the hospital. If we can keep people out of the hospital with therapeutics, then they don't you know, end up on the ventilator and they don't die. We don't overwhelm the system and, and people don't die. Right. That's the way to go. Right. <clears throat> so vaccines will prevent that, but we've already found they're not perfect. Obviously, they're not perfect, and none of the therapeutics are perfect. We need every uh, tool at our disposal, but uh, having a pill that we can take as an outpatient where you get COVID-19 and then you go to your doctor and they diagnose you, you get a prescription, uh, nobody's freaking out because the pill works so well, keeps people out of the hospital. That's awesome. So Molnupiravir, finish, I, I, mean, I talked about Favipiravir, um, gosh, I don't know, 18 months ago. And I really thought that it was going to come out not this last June, but the June before. But it didn't. We were all focused 100% of our energy on vaccines at that time. And, uh, I, I, you know, when we go back and look at this, I just wonder if therapeutics were kind of pushed to the side. I know there were a lot of clinical trials going on, but it just didn't seem to be that the um, the push for therapeutics that there was for the push for vaccine. But vaccine's very important. Don't get me wrong. So, right. Um. Uh, so favipiravir didn't come out, but its first cousin, their kissing cousins, you know, God knows what they do, you know, at family reunions, but <laughs> was molnupiravir. And molnupiravir is probably going to get FDA approval pretty quickly. It's not the panacea we were hoping for, but in the study that they did, it reduced hospitalization by 50%. In other words, wow. in the group that didn't get it, 14% went to the hospital. In the group that did get it, 7% went. And in the group that didn't get it, several people died. And I can't remember the exact number. I'll pull that article up in a minute if we need to. But in the Molnupiravir group, zero people died. Now, it was not a big enough sample size to prove that it 100% prevents mortality, but it is a very interesting, and it was statistically significant, if I remember correctly, from the, uh, the, from the, um, from the study. Now... The study, yes, it was done by Gil, um, by uh, sorry, by Merck, and uh, therefore there are people who find it suspect. Okay. 
I get that. Um, the thing about it is, is that to apply for FDA approval, you got to do the damn study yourself. You have to. You can't rely on someone else's study to do your FDA approval. So there will be more studies and over more time, and we will get some idea of, of how awesome or, you know, less so than, than this stuff is. It seems to be very well tolerated right now. Good, good. And, uh, okay, so that's number one. Number two, because I said on this show we're not going to talk about COVID-19 anymore unless I've got some real news. Mm-hmm. Number two is a study, and I just, I wish I had a, you know, ooh, ooh, uh, drop on this thing. I'll do, give them this, <laughs> but, um, well, that doesn't count. Uh, wait. No, uh, give yourself a bill. But I'm going to give them at this time, at the same time, I'll give them one of these. And the reason for that is that they did, finally did a study on remdesivir on people before they go to the hospital. We've been so focused on the critically ill, which we should, no question about that. We need to try to make them better and get them to survive uh, once they get to that position. But uh, they finally did a study on people before they went to the hospital, and they showed uh, you know around a 50 to 60%. If you look up that one. It's an early remdesivir study. Um, And uh, they showed a decrease in hospitalization there as well. So we have now, uh, that hasn't hit FDA approval yet, but that should be easy to get to just change the indication. Instead of for the critically ill hospitalized, they're going to change the indication and also include people who are uh, not yet in the hospital. So when this is done, we will have three that are proven to work, which is uh, molnupiravir, um, then uh, the monoclonal antibody, and remdesivir. Now, you'll notice two of those, well, all three of these are new and people, you know, they can sell them for a lot of money. Yeah. People will say, well, what about ivermectin, which you can just buy off of the, off of the uh, shelf? Uh, the multi-center double-blind placebo-controlled study for that is still pending. And I have not seen the data yet. We've got a lot of small study data. Some of it's good, some of it not so good, but uh, still worthy of investigation. And the last time I checked on... um, on clinicaltrials.org, there were still about 70 studies looking at ivermectin. So people are looking at it. I don't want anybody to think that they're just pushing that to the side. <clears throat> and if it works better than these things, hell yeah, we're right the hell out of it. And yep. I'm going to give you yep. one. Yep, yep, yep. Right the F now, and this is what I'm leading up to, that is something off the shelf that looks pretty damn good. Oh, cool. And this is uh, from eClinical Medicine. And, it, uh, and this is an online first thing. It was published September 9th. And it's the effects of adging. I'm sorry, adging. Adding L-arginine orally to standard therapy in patients with COVID-19, a randomized, ooh, double-blind, placebo-controlled, parallel group trial. Give yourself a bill. That's the right kind of trial. Now, this is results of the first interim analysis. So what they did was um, L-arginine is just an amino acid. You can, hell, you can buy it at GNC. Oh, yeah, yeah, any pharmacy. And uh, it's, uh, remember, we've talked about uh, trying to prevent herpes recurrences using uh, lysine because the herpes coat is polyarginine. Mm. And lysine and arginine kind of look similar to these enzymes. And so when you overwhelm the body with lysine, the the hypothesis is 
that the uh, virus will have a harder time to build itself okay. if there's more lysine than there is arginine around. Well, anyway, so we may find if people do this that they get a herpes outbreak. Who cares if you don't die? Right. I, I don't think so. I'm not saying that that, but it would, you know, <laughs> we don't know. We know what you mean. Though. You never know what these things. No. Um, so it says um, endothelium, that's, you know, the <clears throat> tissues. Um, uh, the very small tissues on the inside that line things like um, uh, blood vessels and stuff like right. that. Primary target of severe acute respiratory syndrome, coronavirus 2, a.k.a. we call it COVID-19, but the virus is actually called SARS-CoV-2 or SARS-CoV-2, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but the syndrome that it causes is COVID-19. And L-arginine has been shown to improve endothelial dysfunction. Okay, well, that makes sense. However, the effects of L-arginine have never been evaluated in coronavirus disease. So they did, as I said, a parallel group, double-blind, randomized, placebo-controlled trial. People who listen to this show all the time know those are the magic words. Conducted on patients hospitalized. Now, this is one for people with severe COVID-19. Again, maybe uh, they'll do a study on people who are not so severe, but the endothelial damage is the thing that really makes people severely ill. That's part of it anyway. Uh, patients received uh, 1.66 grams of L-arginine twice a day or placebo administered orally. So these had to be people uh, that um, e- either had a, um, uh, you know, a, a nasogastric tube, in other words, a feeding tube, and they were on the vent, or they were not yet on the vent because they could take pills. And then the primary endpoint was reduction in respiratory support assessed at 10 and 20 days after randomizations. Secondary outcomes were length of hospital stay, time to normalization of their white blood count, and time to obtain a negative uh, PCR test. So remember, we've talked about these studies. You have to have a primary endpoint. You can have secondary endpoints, but the primary one is the one that you're looking at. So, for example, when they were studying sildenafil, which is the active ingredient in Viagra, the primary endpoint was reduction in hypertension. Right. But they had this magical secondary <laughs> endpoint, which An was incredible. Yes. Side <laughs> that came up later. They had to add it to their study. And then they finally had to do a primary study on erectile dysfunction <laughs> that said, hey, we're not looking at we're going to consider low blood pressure a side effect now. Okay. And the primary effect is uh, the, you know, the meaty, delightful, tasty erections yes. that you get. Perfect. Okay. Perfect. Sorry. All right. Um, so... Let's just look at the results. At uh, Okay, so no treatment emergent serious events were attributable to L-arginine. That makes sense because it's just an amino acid. At 10-day evaluation, 71.1% of patients in the L-arginine arm and 44% in the placebo arm had the respiratory support reduced. So in other words, and this was uh, uh, statistically significant with a P of uh, less than 0.01. So the odds that this would be random would be one in a thousand. You know, it just happened by random chance. Okay. Um, a significant difference was not detected at 20 days, however. So there, there may have been a difference. I've got to look at the data, but it wasn't significant at 20, at 20 days. So that's for people who stayed in the hospital that long. They were sick enough. You, know, you get somebody that's going to be in there 50, 60 days. The L-arginine probably going to help them very much. Um, But here we go. Strikingly, 
Patients treated with L-arginine exhibited a significantly reduced in-hospital stay versus placebo with a median uh, of 46 days in the placebo group versus 25 days in the L-arginine group. These findings were confirmed after adjusting for co-founders, including age. See, I love these guys. They're doing all the right things. If you had more elderly people in one group than the other, that might skew your data. So you've got to normalize those things. You've got to account for that. Duration of symptoms, comorbidities, in other words, other diseases like emphysema, heart disease, that stuff. Uh, D-dimer, um, it's a blood test we do that is positive when you have a blood clot in your body, but also positive other times as well, as well as antiviral and anticoagulant treatments. Uh, the other secondary outcomes were not significantly different between groups. So very freaking interesting. That's pretty cool. So in this interim analysis, so when you're doing a double-blind placebo-controlled study, you have to have someone who's paying attention to the data to make sure if you're killing someone... Yeah that you stop the study. Yep. But also, if it becomes unethical for you to continue because they're doing so well in the treatment side, they, they'll stop the study. Mm -hmm. Okay. Can fast track it kind of. Yep. And that's what happened with uh, the original remdesivir. Uh, the, the, it became unethical for them to continue with the double-blind placebo-controlled trial, which is why they never got enough people to do mortality data in a placebo hmm. in a placebo environment because okay. you know they were showing that people were getting better right. and it was statistically significant to the point where now it was unethical but they couldn't continue the trial long enough to get enough people to show that the decrease in mortality was statistically significant there was one they just couldn't prove it okay okay that's cool all right so L-arginine. So, you know, we're always talking about off-the-shelf uh, things like hydroxychloroquine, uh, zinc, which uh, zinc does reduce colds. It was on my boards today. Oh, wow. I took boards today, and uh, it was a guy who came in with um, cold symptoms, okay. common cold, uh, clear, runny nose, ca dry cough, uh, no fever, and uh, nasal congestion, and uh, he wanted to know what would uh, reduce the what was the most likely thing he could take to reduce the duration of symptoms because he had to give a big presentation in three days. That's and true. the answer was zinc gluconate. Wow, oral zinc gluconate because it's the only thing that shows. There's been some clinical trials that show it can decrease the duration by about a third. So if it would have been, you know, ten days, it would be seven days instead. Okay. Or if it's going to be six days, it would be four. So, you know, it it could be significant. Yeah, sure, and that's sure. the only thing that, that we've ever showed that did anything with common cold. Interestingly, common colds, many of them are caused by coronaviruses. Mm -hmm. yeah. So um, I and I have predicted a long time ago, and it's not just me, but uh, that this this coronavirus, once our generation is dead and gone, and this the you know my kids mm -hmm. and people younger than them grow up, they'll get hit with this again. It'll just be a cold for them, right? And then their kids, it'll just be a cold for them. And then this will be an endemic virus. This will be the sixth circulating coronavirus until the next shit and Shitstorm, novel yeah. one comes yeah. out. So death to all viruses. I still advocate. Um, a Manhattan Project moonshot style um, uh, effort to destroy human pathologic viruses. I haven't had a single person give me a reason not to do that. Right. 
There are some beneficial viruses out there probably, but I'm, that's, that's, those aren't the ones I'm talking about. I'm talking about Ebola, measles, chicken effing pox, which <laughs> is, you know, more of a lifestyle thing. Um, coronaviruses, big time, those kinds of things, you know, pathologic viruses. We already killed smallpox. No one's mourning the extinction of smallpox in this world. Now, why was it so easy to do that one and harder to do these other ones? Because we all know that there are asymptomatic carriers of, uh, you know, SARS-CoV-2. There are no asymptomatic carriers of smallpox. That's the great thing about it. So when you have a case, you can see them. You call whoever the, you know, the world smallpox elimination council <laughs> and uh, and they come and vaccinate everyone around them so the two things that smallpox had in its favor for marking it for extinction was number one it was a shitty disease it killed a lot of people so we were paying attention to it <clears throat> number two no uh, um, uh, asymptomatic carriers and number three the vaccine worked really fast right. so you could vaccinate people around and just build a wall of immunity around that person and so you know if 70 percent of the time they would survive nobody else would get it and then you just stopped it right there so ebola and marburg and those seem to have as far as we know no asymptomatic carriers right and they kill the hell out of people. Uh-huh. So we should quickly. be paying attention to that. Yeah, really quickly. Uh, now, if we can come up with a vaccine, that's where these mRNA vaccines were first, you know, um, in, you know, developed were for things like Ebola. Didn't work so good in that, but right. they're still working on it. So if they can get a rapid vaccine that works to prevent it, we can build moats around people. Then, then the next thing we got to do is figure out where in the hell Ebola comes from. They still don't know. Is it bats? Is it um, you know somehow from the water? water snakes? Yeah. Who the shit knows? Yeah. But yeah. once we figure it out, we're going to get them too. Mm. You know, and we'll fun. just vaccinate them. You they. You know, we don't see rabid foxes so much anymore because they'll throw uh, food out that has rabies vaccine right. in it. And, uh, you know, I remember back when rabies was, you know, a stray dog in your neighborhood was considered a monster. Yeah. You know, and I have friends from India in places where they don't vaccinate and they feel the same way. Wow. You know, and I, I, you know, it's not just India. There are other countries, but uh, countries with large rural populations where they're not vaccinating against rabies, then, you know, a stray dog. I mean, you always teach all your kids don't ever go near them. Right. You know, and then if you see the commercials that they Foaming had. Foaming at the mouth. Oh, my God. <laughs> when I was a kid, I still I had nightmares about this rabies commercial that they had with this guy walking down the stairs and then they go, bow, 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 you know, the flights that flash and then he'd start foaming at the and. It was black and white. It was that. It looked like later on, I I realized what it was. Is that, you know that that sort of weird gray, black and white that that uh, George Romero used in uh, Night of the Living Dead. How creepy it was, mm-hmm. particularly at the beginning when they're when they're in the um, the graveyard. Mm-hmm. That's what it looked like. Okay. Or if you want to go back, go back and see Mickey Spillane movie from the fifties called Kiss Me Deadly. It looked like that. It was just terrifying to a four-year-old kid, oh, gosh, yeah. Yeah. you know, in 1959. And again, had a friend of mine in uh, grade school, who uh, kindergarten, who died from measles, 
that was pretty uh, effing creepy. And then the vaccine came out uh, for measles, and we all jumped on it, particularly at my school. Yep. You know, because, yeah, we had a friend who died from it. So, anyway, uh, fan of those kind of vaccines. Shoot you. For people who say, oh, it's a vaccine. (laughs) She shills the vaccine. I am not a fan of the varicella vaccine, period. I think it's a dumb idea. And I don't see the value in it. And uh, I've talked about it on this show before. I guess, you know, for, I could give it two seconds just okay. to have some credibility. Sure. But, um, you know, uh, unlike measles, uh, chickenpox very rarely has severe side effects. I'm not going to say it never does. But my concern is they're vaccinating kids when they're young, and then they're not giving them boosters. And we don't know if... Whoa! What in the shit was that? What the hell is that? Okay. Um, And we still... (laughs) I could edit that out, but it'll ruin everything, so I'm just leaving it in. Um, So uh, we, we don't know that that immunity lasts through adulthood. And if you get chicken pox when you're a kid, it's no big deal. Sort of like COVID nineteen. Uh, if you get chicken pox when well, you're an sucks adult, when you get it as, as a kid, yeah, yeah, well, it does. But, <laughs> but you know, long term, I effect, don't remember no. it. Oh I mean, damn, I, I do. Oh, I mean, God. I remember having it, but it's well, not like I remember laying around suffering. You know, I just don't remember that. I had it at Christmas. I remember I couldn't come down and all that kind of stuff. But uh, but I did get a Mister Machine. Go look that one up. I had it on the bottom of my feet. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I had to walk on my knees. Oh, God. It was terrible. <laughs> oh, wow. my God. Well, anyway, that was just from your parents hanging you upside down, slapping you on the Probably so, on the on head. On the soles. Yes. Just to teach you a lesson. <laughs> and then they told you, oh, it's chicken pox. You have chicken pox. <laughs> now, that may be right. I'll probably have a dream of that tonight. Thank you, Dr. <laughs> Steve. I love it. But, um. Yeah, so when you get chicken pox as an adult, it sucks. And if you're a pregnant adult, it sucks for you and for the baby. So I am concerned about that. I would like to see some data that shows that uh, we, we're not seeing adult chicken pox, and that will be over the next 10 years is when we'll really start seeing it, if we're going to see it at all. Mm-hmm. So anyway, all right, uh, very good. Um, you checking out the uh, chat room? Yeah, we got a bunch of bunch yep. of um, Any questions in there? Today. Yeah, there well, just a, keep an eye out, yeah. and if you do, just uh, say something. Sure. Let's. Uh, we probably should take some. Uh, did you have you had I, a news yeah, story? I didn't actually you? had a good one. Yeah, you had a penis one or something. No, right? no, no. I thought it was a penis oh, one when, when I first looked at it. No, but this it's crazy. Um, You're supposed to bring penis. I look stories. For, I look for penis ones, but there were no good penis ones. Oh, okay, um, you said that last week about vagina ones, and then I found like twenty of them. So, oh. uh, penis in the news. Hey, I'm just are you going to let me do my story? Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. It's, go actually, ahead. it's actually a good story. Okay, okay. Um, a man was having chest pain. Then the doctors found a four-inch piece of cement in his heart. What? Exactly. So after two days of chest pain and shortness of breath, a man went to the ER. Um, when they started doing some um, studies on him, they found a four-inch piece of cement piercing his heart and right lung. Um, according to the, uh, it was it, it was in the uh, New England Journal of Medicine. Uh, this thing looks. How like, the hell did this happen, Doctor Steve? This thing looks like a damn. Um, I don't need to see it. Yeah, I, I trust you. It looks like it looks like a. It looks like when I first looked at it, I thought it was a tapeworm. Really? Yeah, it was. It's four inches long, kind of thin and long. Yeah, and um, looks like uh, Oumuamua, the uh, the 
the the elongated asteroid that came through the uh, solar system. You know what I'm talking about? Nerd alert. How do you no. not know about Nerd that? alert. Nerd alert. No. Ugh. No, it you know it looks like well, it people looks like, thought it was an alien spacecraft. It looks so. like those uh, those those bones that people run through their nose kind of. Yeah, okay. That's okay. okay. Sharp on like. both ends. Yeah, yeah, sharp on gotcha. both ends. Mm-hmm. So interestingly, the cement had leaked into this guy's bloodstream. The cement. Anybody who's not from around here is already he Cement, yep. Cement. Is that cement, Paul, Uncle cement, Jed? That's cement, Paul. Okay, so the cement, how'd it get the there? The cement had, had had leaked into this guy's vascular system. How? Following a kyphoplasty. <gasps> Shocking. What? And they said this is okay, not Okay, tell the them first. what a kyphoplasty is, because so, nobody knows what the Yeah, so a kyphoplasty, on. a lot of times, will be used when people have a, a compression fracture in their, in their vertebra in their spine. Yeah. So, what, so what, the spine is like a bunch of uh, balsa wood blocks, and sometimes one of them will crush. Yep. Just like if you put enough weight on a bunch of balsa wood blocks, one of them may one crush. Of, one's go- and, and it hurts like hell. And typically it's in the middle. Yeah. The middle, mm-hmm. the, mid, the middle of the thoracic spine, so right in the middle of your back, kind of between your shoulder blades. Yeah. That's typically where it happens. And it, in Dr. Steve, you know, we see it a lot with um, an osteoporotic um, older females and older males who Can't have. Tell them what osteoporotic means. Okay. You got to quit using all this jargon. They have. A, you know, I uh, talk to my all my medical students and residents about not using yeah. jar. You know, words that are the sure. public don't use. Sure, sure, I have sure. to, so I have listen, to guide Doctor Scott that well, way too. <laughs> I need a lot of guidance. Thank you, but um, but the um. But so osteoporosis is just a deteriorating um, bone disease. So the bone's getting soft. Right, right. The bone's getting soft. Yes. And, and, and what's probably happened in this gentleman is his bones got a little soft. He probably got a little compression fracture. So what the neurosurgeons will do, and maybe some spinal orthopedic surgeons mm. will do, mm-hmm. they'll actually go in with a big needle, and they'll go into that the actual bone itself, and they'll shoot this cement. <laughs> I thought it into, was just resin, though. Isn't it just epoxy? Well, it, it's like a cement. I don't know exactly what this is. It says a pasty of. compound called PMMA, a type of bone cement. No, you're yep, right. Yep. Okay, well, I'll give you one of these. Uh, give yourself a bill. You were more right you know, than me. Well, yep. you know, uh, once in a, every 15 years. But um, but but but, it's, but it, it normally works pretty well. The, mm-hmm. the, the cement is supposed to stay inside the vertebra. It, it solidifies just like you would a foundation. It stabilizes. It stabilizes. It. It's just like if you're going to put a new block under your one corner of your home that's sagging. And that's what they did. But yeah. somehow, and, and evidently, this has happened before. And How the hell did it get in his heart? My guess is... Whoever oh, put yeah. it in. That's what we want is maybe. the guess of an acupuncturist <laughs> on how this happens. Hey, I know. I'm just kidding. I know Go more ahead. than your average Yes, you do. Monkey. Yes, you do. Um, but anyway, um, it's hard. It, it's hard to say, but the guess is probably when if the bone may have been softer than what they thought, yeah. maybe when he injected it a little bit too much force, maybe it went through the backside of it and they just couldn't tell. Or, but It's th- inside his heart, though? It I mean, literally pierced his heart oh, and it, lung. Oh, 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 it pierced it. Okay, literally so it was outside it, yeah. of it and then working its way into yeah, it. Yeah, isn't it crazy? Oh, God, I bet that hurt. Yeah, there's no, there are no images of that, but it's, but they, but they showed the removed, <laughs> the removed pierced, uh, uh, okay. Piece of con- so if you it. go past, okay, so let me, let me describe the procedure mm-hmm. and then we can, I think we can figure out a way that this might have happened because mm-hmm. I know when when they taught us how to do lumbar punctures mm-hmm. a lumbar puncture 
is where you're trying to get fluid from the spinal canal, and mm-hmm. you need to go between two vertebrae to mm-hmm. do that, right? Yep. And so you've got those bony knobs, we call them spinous processes, and they kind of point down, so you have to you have to sort of aim up mm-hmm. to get into that. And what they always taught us was if you get pulsatile blood back when you do that, you've actually missed the canal, and you've gone into the aorta. Right. And to, you know make excuses really quick call for help yeah so um so let's see here it says uh spinal compression fractures occur primarily in spinal vertebrae that have been weakened by osteoporosis just exactly as dr scott said they typically occur in the thoracic region so that'd be between the neck and the low back and uh but can occur in the lumbar spine which is in the low back um, so the goals are to reduce pain from the fracture and stabilize the vertebra, just as Dr. Scott said. So the it what what the neurosurgeons tell me is it's the microscopic movement of these fragments in there that actually causes the pain. And uh, so when they the hypothesis is that when they when they uh, stabilize all that, the pain will get better. So the patient lies face down on the operating table, and the surgeon makes a small half incision over the affected area. And then using X-ray guidance, the surgeon inserts a narrow tube uh, through one part of the vertebrae into the one side of the fractured vertebrae. And then when they do a thing called a balloon kyphoplasty, there's this balloon tamp is inserted through the tube, and they, and they inflate to create an open cavity inside the bone and restore the height to this collapsed vertebrae. Mm. Then the surgeon deflates it, removes the balloon tamp, and then they put this uh, compound called PMMA, uh, which is bone cement, and is injected into the cavity until it's full. And it hardens quickly. I guess it's kind of like dental cement, uh, creating an internal cast of the uh, fractured vertebrae. And then you could do that on the other side as well. So that's on one side of the vertebral body. Now, in other forms of kyphoplasty, they um, the other surgical approaches for creating the cavity can be used like a net or a ball or something like that. Then they close the incision, and then you stay on the operating table when the cement hardens, and it takes like five minutes, and you usually can go home the same day. Yeah, it's pretty quick. It's pretty so quick that's procedure. pretty cool. Yeah. Now, so if you could stick a... Um, a needle all the way through into someone's aorta, I could imagine that you could miss the area that and you thought where you thought you were. Yeah. And inject it into an empty space. And when you do that and you're pulling it back out, you're gonna make a long thin thing. Right. Right? Right. So you push it in and then as you're pulling it out, you get a long thin sort of tube and now this cement is just in there and where's it gonna go? It's just gonna start moving around. And if it moves forward in that area, it's going to hit the heart and the lungs. So, yeah, that makes sense how that happened. Yep. When you first brought it up, I thought it was actually inside mm-hmm. the the uh, ventricle of the heart. And I was like, oh, how okay. the hell did yeah. that happen? Yeah. No, it wasn't your fault. It was just the way I imagined it. So um, you, if you all want to see how this is done, just Google, go to YouTube and Google kyphoplasty. K-Y-P-H-O-P-L-A-S-T-Y. That's a good one. Good one, huh? All right. Almost as good as the penis one, but... Well, I got a penis one. Oh, God. Here we go. Prostate cancer patient who lost their penis to a flesh-eating bug wins six-figure National Health Service payout. This is for our uh, friends over the seas, overseas. Uh, The surgery left this 63-year-old with just an inch and a half of his penis and no muscle in his stomach. Oh, my Lord, this poor guy. It was a cancer patient contracted a flesh-eating infection after routine operation. 
and was left with just an inch and a half left of his penis. And he got a six-figure sum from the National uh, Health Service at Southern University Hospital, NHS Foundation Trust in Essex. By the way, for our British fans or listeners, I do love the Essex accent. Uh, it's admitted that a delay in diagnosing potentially deadly necrotizing fasciitis left him with life-changing injuries. Mm. So, yeah, necrotizing fasciitis is when a bacteria get in some of these layers under the skin, and they can just move up and down wherever they want to go, and they just eat away, and the skin just sloughs off. And if your penis happens to be in the way, you will end up with an inch and a half of penis. Yeah. So Dr. Scott just told me there are no good penis stories. That's not a good penis story. It's no. a horrible penis story. It's a horrible penis story. It's a good one for this show, though. <laughs> All right. All right. You got anything else? Nope. All right. So this is what we're, what we're going to do is, uh, wait, penis extensions do not work and should almost no, never be carried out. Okay, wait a minute. Let's see this one. Okay, uh, penis extensions do not work and should almost never be carried out. Who is saying that? It's in quotes. Surgical and non-surgical procedures to increase the size of men's penises do not work and carry high risks, new research suggests. According to a review published in the journal Sexual Medicine Reporting, not only are the, the majority of these treatments ineffective, but they could lead to severe complications such as permanent numbness. I don't like that. Penile deformity. Well, it depends on how de- the way it's deformed. Shortening, not good. Erectile dysfunction, not good. It also says most men are unhappy with the results following treatment. So they did a systematic review. Now, remember, a uh, systematic review is where you take a bunch of studies and then you mush all the data together, but you try to get all of it that's in the uh, that that's regarding your um, your topic. So it's slightly different than a meta-analysis where you want to get everything. So they included 17 studies assessing a total of 1,192 men. And uh, studies with fewer than 10 cases were were eliminated from the review. So non-surgical treatments included extenders, injectables to increase the girth. We've done that story where people were, in, you know, injecting um, uh, like lip filler around the circumference of their penis to give themselves that sort of ribbed feeling. Mm-hmm. Don't do that. Don't do that. No. And vacuum devices, which are also used to treat erectile dysfunction. They do work for that probably don't work to extend the size of your penis unless you're call, talking about the difference between your flaccid and erect penis, then that's fine. Uh, surgical interventions, oh, included suspensory ligament incision. Okay, this is one of those things where they go um, above the penis itself, and there is a ligament that when you have a really raging erection, you know how it points kind of up mm-hmm. or you know out and up, but yep. mostly up. When you uh, that there's a ligament, the suspensory ligament that holds it up. So when if you cut that, then um, it will increase the penile, penile length by about an inch, mm-hmm. because it will just kind of come out right. of the of the body. But it will always point down to the ground. Right, you'll have to lift it up. Point your own way. Yep, <laughs> yep. Uh, uh, tissue grafting, and then oh, listen to this one. Penile disassembly. I don't like the sound of that at all. And these treatments count up to uh, cost up to forty thousand pounds, which is I don't know what that is. And what's forty thousand pounds in? Okay, Echo. What's forty thousand pounds in U.S. dollars? She'll tell us. Forty thousand pounds is fifty-four thousand three hundred forty-seven U.S. dollars and eighty-three cents. So it used to be um, around two dollars and fifty cents. 
per pound, and now it's about what a buck ten, something like that. Yeah, something mm. like that, right? Mm. Yeah. So anyway, um, so these treatments can cost up to about fifty-four thousand dollars. Some are available with the National Health Service, but only for clinical reasons, i.e., to repair bodily trauma rather than cosmetic ones. So uh, let's see. Uh, those seeking penile enlargement are sometimes diagnosed with a psychological condition called penile dysmorphia, i.e., they perceive themselves to have a small penis when it's in fact a normal length. Remember, the normal length is 5.5 inches as measured from the base to the tip of the erect penis. So, you know, it used to say six inches, and people, you know, there were a whole lot of people uh, going, well, wait a minute, I must be below average, but no, you're exactly average if you're 5.5 inches. Anyway, so there you go. So a lot of uh, not not highly recommended doing penile extensions. Well, just because it doesn't seem to work very well. No. And people are not happy with the results. All right. So one thing that we have is we've got a bunch of voicemails. Cool. And I haven't screened any of them. Oh, no. Here we go. Yeah, here we go with this. So I was thinking that uh, we could just play the damn things and see what happens. Let's give it a shot. Motion detected at the front door. Okay. (laughs) I got to do something about that. All right. Let's see here. Um, There we go. Let's try this guy. Hey, Dr. Steve. Dustin from California. Hey, Hey, I just got my uh, balls snipped yesterday. Yeah. Still sitting on the couch. I'm watching your live feed right now. Oh. Um, Hey, Dustin. The swelling. I don't mind the swelling. Looks yep. pretty good. Mm-hmm. But uh, they use the laughing gas on me, and I got all tingly. Okay, I'm going to stop you right there. Your urologist is a thousand times better than mine. Yeah, and mine. Mine took a daisy razor, dry scraped my nuts, uh, stuck a needle in the vas deferens, and said, oh, this is going to feel like uh, I'm shooting it into your testicle, and he wasn't wrong. And then uh, we went on from there. I would have loved to have had some laughing gas, because I do love me some laughing gas. Anyway, and yes, it makes you feel all tingly. And uh, uh, Chanda, who we've had on the show, did a thing where she took uh, protein-enriched plasma and injected into my scalp to see if she would make my hair grow more, you know, just make it thicker. Mm-hmm. And she did laughing gas when she did that. And I felt all tingly, know exactly what he's talking about. But every time she stuck the needle in my scalp, I saw fireworks go off. Hmm. It was the coolest thing. It was like, oh, fireworks. That's so, cool. Yeah, I love fireworks. Okay, anyway. Uh, I was cracking jokes, and I don't know if the urologist and them or whatnot were, they weren't laughing at my jokes. Maybe I just wasn't funny. Or... Yeah, that's usually what it is. You think you're, <laughs> you think you're hilarious. You think you are. But um, probably not so much. Or they were paying attention to what they were doing, which is probably good. Something, but uh, anyway, it was uh, it was quite the experience. And you mentioned uh, when you got yours, your snipped, that uh, it kind of gave me the confidence to go in there and get it done. So, All right, man. Uh, I told my wife this better pay off. So, <laughs> anyways, thanks for the show, and uh, thanks again for helping me get through uh, yesterday and going in there with confidence. Get uh, hey, I'm glad. Good, thanks, good, friend. good. No, hey, good for you. Uh, it really isn't that, you know, we make fun of it, but um, uh, of our experience having it done, because, you know, we can, because it happened to us and we make fun of it. But mm-hmm. I, I never want to do that to the, you know, to the point or, you know, we're trying to normalize it. Right. And we want people to realize it's not that big of a deal, because if two wimpy ex-hippies like we can do these things, then anybody can do That's it. Right. 
And, um, you know, it's just like that picture of me. If you if you Google or YouTube search Mando Birch, I think it's on our channel. And Dr. Steve, you can see a picture of me when I was 21. And I, I will pass that driver's license around when I go to my kid's career day at school. And I'll say, listen, if that idiot can go to medical school, anybody in this room can. I don't care how goofy you are. So, um, But it's the same kind of thing. And, uh, you know, we got through it. It wasn't that big of a deal. Uh, we got over it. If, if I can give Dustin one piece of advice, definitely get the hard catcher's uh, jock strap. That's what it's called, right? I mean, what do you call it? It's cup. It's a cup. Cup, yeah. But it's the thing that the catcher's wear. You have to have a jock strap to hold your cup in place. Right, right, right. Yeah, you got to have have both. Well, mine was integral to the the thongy thing. Hmm. Uh, But anyway, get a cup, and then you can sort of walk around with impunity because for the next few days, if anything touches your that part of your the jungle region of your body it will uh be an experience that heretofore you have yet to experience yes. and right now uh if the numbing hasn't worn off uh you think hey i'm good but it's gonna it's coming and uh but it lasts a couple of days it's no big deal i i went to work i think i took one day off and went to work wore the cup i was fine mm-hmm. uh frozen peas wrapped in Many layers of paper towels, or you know, just a regular towel. Just you don't want to give yourself frostbite. That would be stupid, and then you would really then it really hurt. Yeah, yeah. So hey, congratulations on Dustin. Good job, dude. All right. So yeah, we actually got a call straight from uh, the live stream. So and it was a good one. So maybe we should do this more often. All right. Um, Okie doke. This one is looks like it's. I, I don't know who this is. This looks like it could be Tracy from Louisiana, I think. Let's see. What's the best way to pick a new physician? <laughs> By people's personal reference or going through your insurance company to make sure that that doctor gets paid? Well, that's that's an important one. You don't want to find the best doctor in the world and find out you got to pay cash unless you're rich. You know, if you're a celebrity, you don't care. But... Um, uh, you you want a person that has the best word of mouth and forget health grades. I go on and goof on my medical school <laughs> classmates' right. health grades all the time, and they do it to us. I mean, everybody does it to each other. And then a lot of the reviews that are negative are people who didn't get their lore tabs that they wanted, and they're the ones that will go on health grades and give somebody a review. Yep. So don't pay any attention to that. I, I think those websites are completely worthless. Talk to people who you know who are around you and say, who do you like? Some of them say, I hate my doctor. Well, don't go to that person unless they hate them for a reason that would make you like them. You know, like I go in there. Well, I can't think of a, a, a great scenario, but you can. You can think of a great scenario where somebody would say, I hate that doctor because of X. And that makes you actually want to go see him. So um, uh, I hate, you know, anyway, I like I said, I could think of 100 inappropriate ones and a couple of decent ones. But you know what I mean? So uh, uh, but word of mouth 
And then you just check them out. And remember, you can vote with your feet. If you get in there, you don't like them, go somewhere else. Take your business elsewhere. If the front office is crummy to you, yep. go somewhere else. Oh, but, you know, give them a chance to fix it, though. Mm-hmm. You know, if they're crummy to you one day, if they're rude, they maybe they're having a bad day. You talk to the office manager, say, hey, they kind of treated me kind of rude out there. And most of the time, the office manager will go, oh, gosh, you know, I'll take care of that. Let's get you back in here, and we'll do better next time. And if they do that, then, hey. You know, go ahead and go back. Okay, how can I shut her up when she does that? Um, It's people dropping packages off up front. Anyway, all right. So uh, let me see. Here is Albert from Albuquerque. Uh, Let's see. Okay. Ah, Oh, well, the first thing he's going to say is something we have some news about. So, hey, Dr. Steve, it's Albert from Albuquerque. Hey, Albert. Good, man. How are you? Great, great. Hey, listen, I miss Tasty. But I heard your episode today, and uh, you're talking about Patreon, and <laughs> I'm not sure, but I'm thinking you're talking about prostitution, but I, I can't be certain. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, we're, <laughs> we're going to, uh, we're not going to OnlyFans. We're going to uh, Patreon, and it is just to um, <laughs> uh, let Tacey be on the show again. And uh, she can only do it on Saturdays, so we figure we'll do the special edition on Saturdays, and we'll throw those up on Patreon. And it'll be real cheap, real cheap, not a dollar. It'll be slightly more than that. Uh, but um, And we'll do like three shows a month, and it will be no ads and nothing but just... Um, uh, Tacy drinking and talking. Tacy drinking, <laughs> yelling at me about stuff, and then we'll just do phone. We'll just do phone calls. So we're going to try it and see. But yeah, that's what that was about. <laughs> no, it's not prostitution. Thank you. That's for other former radio people to do, and not prostitution, not by the way. But you know, uh, OnlyFans a whole other thing. That's not what we're doing. <laughs> and I'm not talking about anybody in Trying particular. Trying to, to earn some money on her. <laughs> anyway, okay, fair um, enough. Hey, okay, well, yes, I may be, I, I may be guilty of that. Yes. Back to an issue I've had ongoing for a while. I had an extremely elevated te- testosterone. They yeah. thought. Um, so I went to an endocrinologist. Did not get a good uh, feel for that person's uh, communication skills. Let's put it that way. Okay. So I chose to go to a second endocrinologist and get a second opinion. It took me several months to do it because yeah. I went to a teaching hospital and it took Let me throw one one thing out here on this. You don't have to like your specialists. As like they have to know what they're doing. You have to like your primary care mm-hmm. and people that you see frequently, but if you're just going for a consultation, you don't have to like them. Right. So I counsel people, you know, listen, you got to like me. You don't have to like this person I'm sending you to. So if that helps any. But anyway, so he went to a different place. A little while. Yeah. But I got the great explanation that I wanted from the person that I talked to, the doctor I talked to yesterday, related to free versus total testosterone mm-hmm. and the concerns and the correlation and causation of uh, elevated PSA related to total, to uh, free testosterone, not total. Uh, in any event, the long and short of this is, is it doesn't appear like I probably have any kind of an issue. I probably have a naturally high sex hormone, which is binding the testosterone and resulting in a high test. However, um, it was a little bit dis- disturbing for me to go through this process and have to get my first, second opinion yeah. from a doctor in 60 years. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I figured maybe you should take a minute or two on how we should feel about talking to our medical community yep. and our doctors. Because I know I felt a little awkward 
um, in challenging my doctor when I didn't get a good vibe on the first endocrinologist. I think it's totally fine. Um, listen, even if the insurance company is paying for it, you're paying for the insurance. This is your body, your life. You get to pick. You have autonomy. The number one principle in modern Western medical ethics is that patients have autonomy. In other words, they have the ability to pick uh, to make their own decisions about their health care. To do that, you have to be fully informed about your health care. That's a whole other thing. But you get to make this decision. So if you go in and for whatever reason you just get a bad vibe, you can just, again, vote with your feet. I usually counsel that to speed things up because you, of the problem you had was once you went to get the second opinion, it took forever to get one. Mm-hmm. That to try to get that relationship to work if you can. Yes. But uh, and sometimes you can talk to somebody, the, and it's usually the office managers you want to, the one you want to talk to. And if they just blow you off, if they get all defensive and stuff, fine. Then get the hell out of there, you know, and go get a second opinion. But uh, you deserve to be treated with respect. I went to a, a consultation uh, many years ago when the computer thing was first starting, and the doctor's computer was set up so that he could not um, do anything without turning his back completely to me. Wow. I was looking at his back the whole time, and then he would sort of shout questions at me and then be putting stuff in the computer. Lovely. And that sucked. Yeah. And you know what really sucked about it was somebody I knew. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I've known this person forever, and I think uh, we either trained together or I trained right under him when he was, uh, you know, something like that. I can't mm-hmm. remember. Or we came at the same time. Not, no, no, not, mm-hmm. the, you know, we came to this town at the same time. Right. But anyway, so, uh, yeah, so, yeah, you deserve all of those things. You're paying a lot of money. Healthcare in this country costs a lot of money. And uh, you deserve to be uh, treated with respect. If you don't like it, how they're treating you, get the hell out of there. But to summarize, give them a chance to fix it if they can, yes. if it's fixable. Yeah, because you never know what's when somebody's seen just previous to you as far as clinically. shouldn't matter, it, it but we should, are human beings. It shouldn't matter, but you just sometimes yep. it just, it's just a bad day. Yep. Yeah, I'm looking. Uh, Sean in the uh, chat room talking about the... Uh, Post vasectomy pain said frozen peas are the key. So, um, Dr. Scott, okay. Uh, Richard says, I had a test today. My teacher said it was a vast deference from my, <laughs> from my other taste. <laughs> well, that's, that's pretty funny. <laughs> hey, hey, that feller's again. <laughs> oh, boy. Unbelievable. All right, you got anything? Well, Jody was asking about if she had mumps on one side, can she get them on the opposing no, side? No, not really. Shouldn't be able to. So really, mumps is one of those viruses. You get it, you really don't get it again. And uh, when you say you got it on one side, what that means is the parotid gland, which is the salivary gland on that side, you know, um, you had parotiditis, which is one of the side effects of mumps or one of the effects of mumps, one of the symptoms of mumps is inflammation of the parotid gland. And when um, that happens, it could be one side, both sides, or no sides. And you still get the same immunity. Um, it's not a, you know, <clears throat> the other parotid gland isn't isn't susceptible to it just because it didn't swell up that last mm. time. That's a good question. Good That's question. a damn good question. Give yourself Thank a you, All right. Give her one of those. Got anything else? 
that looks like about, seriously I'm, I'm scrolling back down through them all okay because yeah it was a lot of chatting that's okay it's a good no, thing it's good you thing. all have fun over there it's a good thing all right well we can't forget rob sprance bob kelly greg hughes i'm gonna be on opie's live stream tonight that will be fun uh, I haven't talked to him in ages. Anthony Cumia also have not talked to in ages and uh, got to get together in South Kakalaki uh, very soon. Jim Norton, Travis Teft, that Gould girl, Lewis Johnson, Paul Ofcharsky, Chowdy 1008, Eric Nagel, the Port Charlotte Horror, the Saratoga Skank, Roland Campos, sister of Chris, Sam Roberts, she who owns pigs and snakes. Let me do that one again. Hang on. Um, she who owns pigs and snakes. Pat Duffy, Dennis Falcone, Matt Kleinschmidt, Dale Dudley, Holly from the Gulf, Steve Tucci, the great Rob Bartlett, Vic's Nether Fluids, Carl's Deviated Septum, uh, Casey's Wet T-Shirt, um, Carl Hamburger, Vinnie Paulino, Bernie and Sid, Martha from Arkansas's daughter, Ron Bennington, uh, and Fez Watley, who supported the show, has never gone unappreciated. Listen to our SiriusXM show on the Faction Talk channel. SiriusXM channel 103, Saturdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, Sunday 6 p.m. Eastern, on demand, and other times at Jim McClure's pleasure. Many thanks to our listeners whose voicemail and topic ideas make this job very easy. Go to our website at drsteve.com for schedules, podcasts, and other crap. Until next time, check your stupid nuts for lumps. Quit smoking, get off your asses, and get some exercise. We'll see you in one week for the next edition of Beard Medicine. All right. Thank you, Dr. Scott. Thank you, buddy.